Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision." Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. So we've been looking at the book of Daniel now for several months. Last week, um, we began looking at um, Daniel chapter 9. And as it is within this um, section, the latter section of Daniel, talking about prophecy. And it's exciting as we look at it, again, the impact of Daniel, uh, the impact of his God, of his life, but of his writing, and we've talked about this is the portion where we're going to talk about the impact of his writing, and that we saw last week, there's Daniel, and he's reading Jeremiah, or the writings of Jeremiah. Because again, I don't think necessarily that there's a full scroll like we've got it, okay? But he's probably got bits and pieces, the scrolls of Jeremiah and the writings of Jeremiah, and he's reading them, and he's studying them, and he's pouring over them, and he's praying, and he's seeking God's face for understanding. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today on the technical side. Okay? Last week we looked at it more on the practical side. The impact, if you would, of reading God's word upon the life of a prophet. How cool is that? We've got a prophet of God reading the writings of the prophet of God, and he's praying about it for understanding. You think he just got it. Kind of like an Elijah and Elisha moment. You know, just, oh, he read it and he understood it. It didn't happen that way. He's praying about it. How exciting. And so the impact was immediately he understood that he was probably living in those days. Not only of the days of Jeremiah, what Jeremiah was, but the law of Moses. And we looked at Dan, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and we, how, how God had proclaimed, even in the days of Moses, that there was going to come a time when Israel was going to reject him. They were going to start worshiping other gods. Then God was going to send them away. He's going to send them into another land for a period of time where they'd worship other gods. But then from that other land, there would come a time when they would repent and they would seek God with all their heart and he would restore them back into the land. So there's Daniel. He's reading it all, wondering, wow, where is it at? Am I in those days? Do you ever wonder, are you living in the days? Not Daniel's day, but the day of Christ's return. This message in the next couple messages are, again, if you thought it was a whole lot of detail when we went through Daniel 7 and we talked about the Maccabees, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay? So... 
this, a lot of excitement. I hope you love history because history is, is wrapped up in the Word of God. Because history, again, is His story. Okay? But before we get into the technical side, today's a technical message. Okay? A technical message. There's great application from it, but it is purely technical. So if you don't like technicalities, and techni- just go to take a nap. I'll wake you up when you're done, when we're done. Okay? But before we get into that, I want to just focus real quickly on these first couple of verses, because I don't want to ignore them, but clearly we're going to be talking about the 77s, okay? And that's the technical side. But again, I got a lot of favorite passages, right? Yes. But this statement that God makes via Gabriel to Daniel, I yearned for. I yearned for. Daniel, when you began asking, God sent out the answer. Because you are greatly beloved. I want, when I get before the throne, to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear about all the time I squandered, and I have. Who hasn't? But that doesn't matter. I don't want to excuse myself with that. We excuse ourselves. With everybody does it. Daniel was willing to die to pray to his God. Daniel was willing to suffer persecution to be pure before his God. Remember that from Daniel chapter 1? Daniel was bold before his God. Again, I don't know where he was when, when Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah were being thrown into the fiery pit because of not bowing down Okay, you say what you want. I don't think he was there. I don't think he bowed. I just I think it's totally antithetical to everything else that was about his life. For God to come and call him greatly beloved. But here's the other side of it. I yearn for that. Practically, I yearn for that. But do you understand you already are? You already are greatly beloved. For God in this manner loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believeth in him should not what? But but have everlasting life. And then we're told in Galatians chapter 4 that in the fullness of time, when not another drop of a second would fit in his cup of time, he sent forth his son to be born of a virgin, to be born under the law, that you might be what? Redeemed and adopted be a child of God, to be beloved. How cool is that? So as I read this stuff, I mean, yeah, I yearn for it. I yearn for the practical side of it. But oh, what an exciting thing it is to know, to know, to know. I am beloved. I am beloved of God. I just want to live it out in my life. Do you track with that? And how cool it is to know that as a greatly beloved God hears my prayers. I may not always get the yes I want. I may not always get the timing I want. But he hears. He hears. Now, I understand we can go to the deaf ear when I don't treat Marsha properly. God doesn't hear me. He doesn't listen. There are times when God's word says that, that as my loving father, he says, sorry, fellowship's broken. That's another story. Another message for another time. But how exciting it is. So, so God sends him and he says, okay, so I am sending Gabriel in order to give you what? Understanding. Okay. Now, again, what's he praying about? What's he seeking God about? Say again. The, what vision? Jeremiah's vision of 70 weeks. But God doesn't come back and talk to him just necessarily about those 70 weeks. He's going to give him an additional prophecy on top. So layer of prophecy upon prophecy. This is kind of exciting stuff. Okay? So the next thing I want to talk about as we go into this is the telescopic nature of prophecy. So it's, it's like you're on this ridge, you're on this mountain, and, and you're looking out there, okay? And you're looking across. Have you guys ever gone up like the Table Rock or whatever, one of those kind of places, and you, you kind of look out, and, and you can see... A long way, miles out there. But what you see is ridge upon ridge upon ridge upon ridge upon ridge, which, honestly, if you were in the valley between those ridges, you would consider them to be mountains. 
Doesn't make sense? But since you're up there, you're just saying what? Top, 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 top. And I can show you a picture that I took from the, is a, is a cool picture I took when we went out for Justin and Carrie's wedding out in Washington, okay? And I had this picture, and I didn't realize what I was taking a picture of. I just knew it was a cool picture. I was taking pictures, you know? I love the digital age where I can just delete, 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 but I can take picture and picture and picture. Thousands of pictures, you know? Whoever deletes them then, you know, now, now they continually come up on my, my, my computer at home, right? So anyways, but I have a picture of uh, Mont St. Helen, Mont Rainier, in Mount Adams, thank you, I knew it started with an A, Mount Adams, all in the same picture. But it was all cloud covered. So all I have is the peaks. I have three peaks sitting up. And if you look at it, it looks like Mount Rainier is the closest one. But it was the furthest one. It was just happened to be the perspective that I was taking the the picture. Actually, Mount St. Helen was the closest one. Then Mount Adams, I think, was the second one. Then my, the guy that, right? In, in Mount Rainier. You, you're from that area. Anyways, so, so I, I think that's how it is. Because I, I, I looked at it later. It was really kind of cold. But, so it's, it's like this, okay? So you're there on this, on this ridge, on this um, mountaintop, and you're looking out there, and you see there's eight. And so you're looking at the ultimate kingdom out there. Get it? Isn't that where you're, what we should be focusing on? Now, some of you are looking at that. Isn't there another one further past it? I don't know. That's the one I think. Anyways, and so there's the, that's the kingdom of God that's out there, okay, in my brain. But as, as you're looking out, prophetically, there's a whole lot of other things that are happening, okay? And so, but life is continuing in between. It's just that when prophecy is given, all you're given is the what? The highlights, the tops, the big parts. Sometimes, as we're going to read when we get into Revel, or Daniel, the end of chapter 10 into Daniel chapter 11, we're going to give a lot of details. You know, there's going to be one of these things right in here when we get into the, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids where all of a sudden God says, look, I just want to blow your socks off and I can show you the detail of what I can tell you from history that's going to come up. Okay? And it's really kind of cool stuff. Okay? So we were already prepared for that, um, that message and bring a lunch. So anyways, so... Well, actually, I think we're having lunch after that message, so don't worry about it, okay? Bring. That, that's exactly right. Just, it's going to be like living in China, you know, those three-hour messages and that kind of stuff. Anyway, so um, a lot of fun. I'm warning you ahead of time, okay? I won't tell you the day or the hour that's going to happen, but you'll show up and all of a sudden, oh, man, I should have missed this Sunday. Anyways, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Anyway, so all this is going on, okay? And so we saw this sort of already. When, when we looked at Dan, or, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, okay? Because really, number one, if you would, was the head of gold. It was happening right then. He was the head of gold, right? Babylon was happening. And he could almost, if you would, Medo-Persia wasn't the item just yet, but it could be. It was right there. It was happening, okay? And so it was forming. And so he could almost kind of uh, see that prophecy maybe formulating. But Greece... Greece wasn't a blip on the mat. I mean, it, it existed. The Javan, Ionia, it, it existed out there, okay? But not necessarily hadn't, Philip hadn't coagulated all the city-states together yet and made Greece Greece. That's because Medo-Persia hadn't gone over and beat them up yet, okay? I mean, Greece became Greece because of what Persia did to them. We talked about that, okay? And we'll talk about it more, okay? And it was a lot of fun, okay? And then there's Rome, Rome, Rome. We're talking about not a blip of a blip on a blip of a map. It's kind of like Horton hearing the who's. You know what I'm saying? Nobody else hears them. You know, they don't exist. They're, well, they existed, but they weren't like even not there. And then, then you got way out here, current. We don't even know yet what the ten toes are yet. We know it's a reformation of the Roman Empire. We're not going to get into the Ro- book of Romans right, or uh, book of Revelation right now, but it's there. And then six was what? The kingdom of God is Jesus, okay, in his kingdom. He hasn't got a clue of all this stuff. Daniel doesn't have a clue of all this stuff. He's just talking prophetically out there. So they're looking here, and they're mountaintops. But there's a whole lot of history that's going on in the middle of those empires, isn't there? Okay? So same concept throughout prophecy. Uh, as we go, we see it so clearly like the end of the book of Isaiah when we're talking about the kingdom of God. And then we get into Matthew and we talk about the kingdom of God. There's a lot of people that get frustrated with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is exciting. Do you know what? God's kingdom has always existed. I'm not waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He's already always has been the king. He's been sovereign. 
He's just manifesting his kingdom in so many different ways. So one of the ways is through the nation of Israel, which he will physically do again one day coming up because it'll be the what? The millennial reign of Christ when he comes. So anyways, all these things going on, when we talk about prophecy, sometimes we want to put God in this box and we want everything defined so neatly for our theologies. And you know what? God doesn't necessarily do that all the time. And it leaves us wondering. And so again, prophecy is best understood when? After it happens. That's pretty clear, okay? And we're going to see that again today. So we get into these, these weeks, okay? And so quickly, i got to run through a lot of this quickly. It's all a lot of a technical. And so I want to, I, I guess I, I just want to encourage you. I want to get you excited about prophetical portions of God's word. They're not to be avoided. They're to be just embraced and to, and to be prayed over and for, for God to, to reveal, okay? It's exciting stuff. So, so when we get into the 70 weeks, okay, Daniel has already says, um, there, back in verse 20, he says, While I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of who? My people Israel. In presenting my supplication for Yahweh my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, I was speaking in prayer, and the man Gabriel came, right? So, so Daniel says, I'm praying for my people Israel and about God's holy mountain, okay? And so he comes, and Gabriel begins to speak then. And he says, 70 weeks are determined for who? Your people, Israel. That's exactly right. Seventy weeks are determined for Israel, for your people, and for your holy city. That's where? Jerusalem. It's God's holy mountain. Okay? It is the, it is the threshing floor of Arauna. It is Mount Moriah. Okay? And you go back through the Bible and you can see that. It is Jerusalem. It is where, specifically, the temple of God would be established. Okay? That's, um, so David... The threshing floor of Arauna, that's what he chooses. That's where he places the temple of God, okay? And so that's the holy mountain of God, okay? That's where Abraham offered up Isaac, okay? And so that's why the, um, the Dome of the Rock is there, okay? Because the, um, the Islam, the Muslims, they, they venerate that place as the third, third most holy place on the earth because that's where they believe, they believe, Abraham offered up Ishmael. Okay, because they, re- they do the replacement theology, if you would, where they replace Isaac with Ishmael because they're descendants of Ishmael. And so they want to believe that they are the descendants of the promise and, and not Isaac. Does that make sense? Okay, you get, uh, learn this stuff. Understand it. It all makes sense. History really flows together when you begin to understand it from the biblical perspective. Okay, it all flows together. So, so the focus of the weeks, okay, this is important. The focus of the week is for who? Israel, specifically Jerusalem, okay? This is an important thing to remember. Prophecy, unless otherwise told us, is always from the perspective of Israel. It's always from the perspective of Jerusalem. We, 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 in our Western mindsets, we, we kind of bring it from the perspective of America. Get rid of your Americana mindset. It's not about America. America is not the chosen nation. Okay, so just, boy, I love the United States. I served in the military. I died for my country. But I promise you, this is not Jerusalem. And this is not Israel. Okay, the church is not Israel. As we're going to see in a moment, the church is in its own period of time. Okay, God is once again going to be dealing with the nation of Israel. I hold to this firmly, not from the New Testament, from, but from the Old Testament from many of the prophecies, but more specifically even than here from the book of Daniel, chapter 9. We, as a body of believers, we don't call ourselves pre-trib, okay, which we are from that perspective. We believe that the rapture of the church, the harpazo of the church, the gathering up of the church is going to happen prior to the 70th week, which we're going to be getting to in a moment, the 70th week recorded in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Okay? So, that's for another, another day as well, why we state it that way as opposed to stating pre-trip, okay? Because we believe that the church age, if you would, will be concluded, will be finished, will be finalized prior to God dealing once again with the nation of Israel during the final 70th week, okay? Which we'll talk about in a moment, okay? So it's for Israel, okay? What's the purpose of the weeks, though, okay? He then states that. So this is kind of cool, okay? Because again, this is referring to Israel, not necessarily the what? The church, 
Okay? So sometimes, again, we kind of d- divide out law and what? Grace. Okay? But God's grace has been what it's been all throughout. Abraham, what? Believed God, and God accounted it for righteousness. It wasn't a matter of his works. It was a matter about his faith and God's grace. Okay? So what do we see? First of all, it's to finish transgressions and make an end of sins. Now, what's kind of fun here with the make an end, okay, is the exact, the, the exact same word is down here to seal up the vision and prophecy. Okay? Exact same word. Okay? Not a different word. Okay? And so it's to, it's to restrain and stop up sin. So the whole idea, whole of these weeks, okay, in the end of these weeks, in the end of these weeks, the goal of this is it's going it's to put a stop to what? To sin. Isn't that kind of cool? First of all, for Israel, but then application to what? To everyone, right? To make then reconciliation for iniquity. Chafar. The word chafar is the word that is used for a covering. It literally means a covering, okay? But it's atonement. When your sin, so the Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, it's the day of atonement. It's the day when your sins are covered, okay? And so your, this whole thing is going to happen where your sins then are going to be covered as well, okay? And it's exciting when we're going to get to the end here and when we see how this is all going to play out. So again, this is for Israel, okay? So it's going to, it's going to bring an end. It's going to staunch sin, right? And, and, it, and it's going to cover their, their iniquity. It's going to cover all that to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's kind of cool, okay? So I'm going to get rid of what? Unrighteousness, if you would. And I'm going to bring in what? Righteousness. But not just righteousness. What am I going to bring in? Everlasting righteousness. Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared. I cannot comprehend what being sinless is like. Can you? I can't comprehend what being not selfish and not self-centered is like. And yet we're going to be there one day. And we're going to want to do things right. Not from our perspective, but from the perspective of God. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is when you do things that are right from the perspective of, of God. And he's going to bring in, all this is going to, so it's going to staunch and seal up and, 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 and cover over the sin. Love covers what? A multitude of sin, doesn't it? And then it's going to bring in at the same time, put off, put on. We talked about it in Sunday school, right? It's going, to, it's going to put off the sin. It's going to put on what? The righteousness. Kind of cool stuff, isn't it? Okay. And then it's going to what? Seal up the vision and prophecy. Hmm. That's kind of rough because here we are in the middle of prophetical portions and we want it to be what? Opened up. <laughs> and he said, no, nah, no, nah, well, you know, it's, this is even at the end of this. There's, there's even going to be more things that are what? Sealed up. Ouch. But in the end, it's going to be to anoint what? The most holy. To anoint the most holy. Jewish perspective. Who is the most holy? God, Yahweh. And Yahweh declared, and we've seen this when we looked at Isaiah, we've seen it when we looked at Zechariah. Yahweh has declared that he is going to come and he was going to live on the earth. He was going to dwell amongst them. He did. And so we saw that when we went through the book of John, John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus said, unless you believe I am, I am, you will die in your sins. He is on Yahweh. He is Yahweh in the flesh. It's who he is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Yahweh came to the earth. He dwelt amongst his people. His people rejected him, which we'll maybe talk about here in just a moment. Okay. And so his people rejected him. Okay. But it's to anoint, then, the most holy. And we know that there's going to come a time, and we'll, again, as we go through this, it's so exciting stuff, he's going to come again. And he's going to establish his what? Kingdom. His thousand-year reign on the earth, where Yahweh, Zechariah, tells us very clearly that Yahweh's going to live on the earth, and every nation is going to be required to come at the Feast of Tabernacles to worship him, to declare that God is amongst them, and if they do not come, that God's going to withhold, Jesus is going to withhold rain from them for an entire year. The next whole year, they won't have rain. They'll have drought the entire next year. That'll kind of wake them up, huh? And even after a thousand years of his reigning on the earth, Satan's going to be released from the pit. 
And he's going to go out and he's going to deceive the nations one more time. And they're going to, they're going to rise up one more time to, to go against him. It's amazing stuff. But it's to anoint the most holy. So all this is going on from the Jewish perspective, okay? To seal up, if you would, to close up sin, to bring in righteousness by anointing the most holy. So we get to this next phase then, the division of the weeks. This is really kind of what most people want to look at and say, well, what does it mean? Okay, so first of all, we're going to, um, we look at this 70 weeks are what? Determined, right? So what does it mean by 70? Well, 70 weeks really are, is literally 70 sevens. It's not word for weeks, but the word week, okay, literally is sevens, okay? So normally when you, when you read that in Hebrew, okay, that it's seven. So a period of seven is a week or some other septad, okay? Um, in Leviticus 25, we read, and you shall count seven Sabbaths, that's seven sevens, of years for yourself. Seven times seven, and the times of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be for you 49 years. Ah, kind of interesting, isn't it? Okay, that's kind of what we're talking about here, okay? And so, again, the concept then of being 70 sevens is 70 heptads, or groups of 70 years, seven years, which means it's 490 years, is what we're talking about right now, 490 years. Now, we're going to come into that more technically in just a few moments, okay? Probably longer a few moments than I want, but anyways, it'll be a few moments, okay? So, 70 weeks are determined. So, we're told, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome time. And after the 62 weeks... Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Isn't that kind of fun? Before, we were talking about the anointing of what? The most holy. Now we're talking about the coming of this Messiah prince. But now we're told that the Messiah the prince is going to be what? He's going to be cut off. But not for himself, right? And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Stop for a moment, okay? That is not what it says in the Hebrew, literally, Okay? Literally what it says, and this is important to me because it changes your mindset on this. Literally it says, until the end, va'ad ketz is war, determined is desolation. Okay, so it's giving us this concept that there's a gap. We'll talk about the gap in a moment, okay? That stop, all of a sudden there's time, there's a time period happening. And in that time period, there's going to be these wars, okay, and desolation. Then he, that is going back to this prince that is to come, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And we'll pick up the rest of that a little bit. So we have three sections. First of all, we have the first um, 69 of those weeks. We have seven weeks and 62 weeks. So 7 plus 62 is 69. Okay, 69 weeks. If we're talking about years, that means it's 483 years, right? Then we have this middle part where... There's going to be this gap, okay, where this time is going to happen. And then we have this final week. So we have three sections that we want to look at as we come through this. First of all, we want to look at the 7 and 62 weeks, okay? Textually, first of all, real quickly, textually, we have an, a beginning point, okay, and we have an ending point. Make sense? Okay? And on your sermon note sheets, did you notice on your sermon note sheets you have no blanks? Yeah. Okay? And if, so I, I should have mentioned this. On, so if you've got the large print edition, on the back side is a chronology which we're going to use in a moment. If you got the small print edition, if you got the half-sheet edition, um, and you did not pick up the chronology, you, you failed. So, um, so anyways, it'll be up on the screen. When you leave, you can pick one up, because you, you, if you don't want it, it's okay. You're not going to offend me. I don't really care. Um, from that perspective, I care personally for me, but I, you know, what do you guys want? It's up to you, okay? Textually, what do we have? First of all, we have an initial point. We know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome time. So there is an initial point in this 483 years where Jerusalem is going to be decreed to be rebuilt. Make sense? Can we see that? Can we agree on that? That's pretty simple. Okay. The end point is going to be until Messiah the Prince. That's pretty clear because we have an until, right? Until the Messiah the Prince comes, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So we have this 483 years. We have parameters. It's going to start with a, a, a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. It's going to end with Messiah coming and being cut off okay now comes the fun okay because now we get to the chronology of this all this okay and if you've ever been here long enough you know i i love uh, math major okay so i love the numbers i love chronologies i've done the chronology of the bible okay now what i want to confess right off the bat is these numbers though are not from mine okay because what's important to me here is i've taken um the numbers from um secular history okay 
And I'm showing you that even from secular history, they can't deny this. Okay? So, so my numbers change a little bit with them. You can see I'm going to say I don't necessarily agree necessarily with some of the things here and there. It doesn't really matter. Okay? I'm going to accept this for right here, and we're going to teach this. Okay? So based upon this, okay, um, and when we get to Cyrus and stuff like that, that's where we really can make some determinations as far as the, the datings, and we go backwards and forwards from, from those things. They found the Cyrus um, uh, cylinder, and, and they're able to, to do a lot of dating from it and stuff like that. So anyways, we'll, we'll just start. 609 B.C., okay? Again, I'm going to fly through this, and you're going to see where it all applies together, okay? Some highlights are in the blue, right? 609 B.C., Josiah decides with Babylon, Babylonians and attacks Necho. That's Pharaoh Necho of the Egypt, right? At Megiddo, okay? Because Megiddo, uh, Necho was going up to, to come alongside Assyria in the battle against the Babylonians. Remember, the Assyrians, okay? They were, they, were, they, were all, they were the world empire, but all of a sudden, in, in a moment, they became nothing. How, what, how did they become nothing? Anybody know what happened? Why Assyria became nothing? God wiped out their army. That's exactly right. He wiped out how many, somebody, oh, Jimmy told me it before. So I'm going to mess it up, Jimmy. If you're listening on there, I'm sorry. You're going to, we're going to mess it. We're going to round it up again. It's round it down, whatever. 180,000, right? So we got, so Jimmy told me, the, he says, no, it was actually 180,000. Anyways, so... I'll put it at 180,000. 180,000 fighting men. His army was wiped out because they mocked Yahweh. And so one night he destroyed them all. So Egypt, this is really interesting. Egypt is coming. Egypt is starting to to grow a little bit more. But they were wiped out too. How did they get wiped out as as an empire? (laughs) God again. God wiped them out of the Exodus. Destroyed the army in the Red Sea, right? So you've got an army that's been destroyed and starting to rebuild, coming to help the army that's been destroyed both by the same God, okay, who are now coming to fight against the army that God is now building up, Nebuchadnezzar's army. Nebuchadnezzar isn't the king yet. He's the general of the Babylonian army. Nebuchadnezzar is his father. He's the king of Babylon, okay? And so you got this first battle of Carchemish that's going on. A lot of fun. Read history, okay? And so you got the first battle of Carchemish that's coming together, okay? And so so Josiah has to make a decision who he's going to side with. Well, he doesn't like the Assyrians because the Assyrians have been really bad to them. And so he sides with the Babylonians. And so, you know, he goes out and he tries to slow down Necho from going up against the Babylonians. Well, he dies. Bad decision. He shouldn't have done it. Necho says, don't, why did you do this? Don't come out. Go back. But Josiah stays there. He gets killed. I think it's for a reason. I think it's kind of like, um, does anybody know when Methuselah died? I said, whoa, we went from Josiah to Methuselah. When did Methuselah die? The year of the flood. I don't think he died haphazardly. I don't think it was an accident that he died. I think that he died and then God sent the flood. Does it make sense? Because Methuselah was a righteous man. Lamech, his father, or his son, actually only lived to 777 years. Okay? And so it was really kind of fun. Does anybody know who Methuselah's father was? Enoch. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. It's a very godly line. So anyways, Methuselah dies, the flood comes. Okay? I think Josiah dies for a reason, and we're going to see this in a moment, okay? That God takes Josiah out, okay? And so Josiah dies, okay? And then we continue on, coming through this Pharaoh, Necho, then comes back. He takes Jerusalem. The Egyptians wind up losing to the Babylonians, the Carchemish, okay? In the second battle, that's there. Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he captures Jerusalem, okay? And he makes Jehoiakim his vassal for three years, okay? But Jehoiakim rebels, okay? And so Nebuchadnezzar comes back, and he's destroyed. Jehoiachin, who was made... Um, he's just an 18-year-old youth. He's made the king for just three months. And when Nebuchadnezzar comes, he, he takes him as a, as a slave, if you would, as a, as a prisoner, along with the queen mother, back to Babylon. Okay? And so that's important as well. We read not just here, but in Jeremiah as well. Zedekiah, Zedekiah is made the king by Nebuchadnezzar in the first year of his reign. We're told that. Okay? So Nebuchadnezzar, up to this point, has been just a general. Okay, under his dad, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar dies, Nebuchadnezzar becomes the king, and in his first year of being the king is when he comes and he sacks Jerusalem. And he takes Jehoiachin back, so, um, and all this plays out. Jeremiah's prophecy then of 70 years comes in 590 B.C., and we can, we can work that out because it's during the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar. So if Nebuchadnezzar begins in 598 B.C., then we know that Jeremiah's prophecy is in 590 B.C. Okay, important stuff. May not seem like important, but important technicalities. That's why I have it in blue. Okay, so so we have it eight years after what we see as what normally we see as the what the beginning of 
the Babylonian exile. Okay? Okay. So we continue on. So we leave Josiah up there, okay, and we bring Jeremiah's prophecy up a little bit. And we see a little bit more. Nebuchadnezzar then comes back in Zedekiah's 11th year, and he destroys Jerusalem. Big gap, going through the, the time of Babylon. Cyrus II becomes king of Persia. That's the Cyrus that we read of right here in chapter 9, in the, or um, in chapter 10, I think it is, that we're going to go to. Yeah, in the third year, Cyrus, king of Persia, okay? Cyrus becomes the king, okay? He's the Persian king. Um, Darius is the governor, is the, Darius the Mede is just the governor of the Babylonian province, okay, under Cyrus, okay? So, so Cyrus becomes king of Persia. He defeats Media, becomes king of both empires. He invades Babylon, okay? And Darius the Mede then is made to reign over the Chaldean province. Daniel then seeks in the same year, all this is playing out, he's seeking to understand the 70 years of Daniel, chapter 9, or the, of 70 years of Jeremiah, okay? It is also the same time frame that Cyrus is allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Isn't that exciting? Again, who was still around to tell Cyrus that he was prophesied about? We'll talk about this right now, actually. Okay, so we have Jeremiah. Okay, for thus says Yahweh, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word to you and cause you to return to this place. So that's the, the, the prophecy, okay? But there was also another prophecy. Oh, I don't have it. Oh, oh yeah, sorry, before we get there. Um, literally, again, this is important, okay? Because it says, after 70 years are completed at Babylon. It doesn't say that. Literally, um, so um, again, prefixes are important, okay? Um, Lamed, so Gerard, the Lamed prefix. Basically, if you see a Lamed on a prefix, you're going to translate it how? Two or four. Not at, okay? That would be uh, bait, maybe, maybe um, a chaf, okay, in front of it. So it's to Babylon. So the fulfillment, so according to my mouth, the fulfillment to to Babylon, 70 years, okay? So it's talking not about necessarily Israel being at Babylon or in Babylon. Rather, the fulfillment is 70 years for Babylon. You tracking? There's a slight difference here. Slight difference. So you're going to have the Babylonian exile, but the, the focal point is Babylon there. I will visit you and establish my good word to you and cause you to return to this place. Okay? So, we come back to our um, prophecy here. Um, 539, Cyrus invades Babylon. That's the same year that Cyrus then allows the Jews to return to Jerusalem. So, you need to have how many years, according to the, the, the prophecy of Jeremiah? 70 years. So, you go from 539, go backwards 70 years, and where do you come to? 609, which is when Josiah, what, was killed, and when they began to be handed over to the other nations. It's when Babylon began to assert its, what, power and to become the world empire. It was that moment when they beat Assyria, the the combined army of Assyria and Egypt, when Babylon became the world empire. It's when God began to hand over Israel. That's why I think he took Josiah out. Because Josiah, like Daniel, was a what? A man greatly beloved. And so he took Josiah out so that Josiah didn't have to experience the anguish and the turmoil that was going to be coming upon the nation at this moment. It was from this moment that that God began to hand Israel over. Sometimes we fail to realize. So go back to Egypt with Joseph. Do you realize that the Israelites were already being in bondage during the days of of Joseph? We read Exodus chapter 1, and we read, there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. And so we think Joseph must have been died a long time, dead a long time. He's still alive. In fact, again, I go back to secular history, and so I was reading it again. I went through my Egyptian... um, uh, hierarchies within my chronologies and reading about Amenhotep and, and stuff like that. And so um, there, is, there is a man in secular history who's got to be Joseph, who was an attendant to these pharaohs, who brought in monotheism. They don't necessarily refer to it as monotheism, but he brought it, brought it in. And so one of the pharaohs actually turns away from polytheism to, to begin to worship one god. And then a new pharaoh rises up and he gets rid of the, this, he just can't stand this administrator. And, and so they begin to, 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 
put them under a, a damnation and a condemnation kind of thing. Okay? So it's why Daniel, or Joseph says in Gen- Genesis chapter 50, he says, listen, the day's going to come when, when, you're, when God's going to deliver you and you're going to go up into the land. When that happens, please take my bones with you. Because it's already going on. It's already happening. He doesn't have authority anymore. Well, same thing is going on in, 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 in these days. Okay? It was starting to be handed over. Okay? And so we have the 70 years, this fulfillment. Okay? Well, again, then, Daniel is where? He's in the middle of this thing. He's already in Babylon, and he's trying to understand it. Okay? I'm not saying that we're in the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, or the pale horse right now. But would you have eyes opened enough to potentially see it? if we were in it. I could get into some details where I, I'm, I'm kind of looking, kind of like, you know, you know, is it there? I'm not saying we are, but you know, it's, like, mm, it's kind of interesting to see what hap- how it all plays out with World War III potentially and stuff like that, you know. And I'm not saying anything, you know, and so is there going to be a famine and, and all this kind of stuff afterwards? That kind of sounds like the black horse if that happens. And so, you know, are we, you know, anyway, so I don't want to go there, but you get what I'm saying? Prophecy is exciting stuff, okay? The word of God is true. And are you alert? Are you of the day? Are you awake? Will you know it happen when it's happening? Or are we like a bunch of ostriches with our head in the sand? Just kind of going on, you know, because we love the world and we love everything else and I want the American dream and I want all this kind of stuff and it's all about me, God, and I want this and I want that and God, please don't come until after I get married and have kids. You know, I, I've been there in that days, you know, so I, I get that, okay? But guess what? Jesus is going to come sometime, isn't he? It's not going to come according to your schedule. Sorry. I hate to burst the bubble. You know? We're greatly beloved, but he's still what? He's still God. <laughs> That's exactly right. So anyways, so fun stuff. That's the 70 years. But we continue on now. Because Cyrus allows the Jews to return from Jerusalem. Because we're still talking about the what? The 7 and the 62, right? We're trying to figure out the 483. So now we got, finally got the 70. We figure out where the 70 is at, right? So Cyrus allows the Jews to return to Jerusalem. So is that it? Is that the decree? That where, where they go back to Jerusalem? No, because that was a decree to return to Jerusalem and build the what? Temple. It's not, so you can see 514 B.C., the temple is completed. We read that in Ezra chapter 615. It's not until we get to Artaxerxes, and so you can read all this other stuff in between, a lot of important details, okay? But it's not until we get to Artaxerxes in 458 B.C., where Artaxerxes makes a decree establishing the law of Yahweh as the law of the land for Israel. We see that in Ezra chapter 7. And then, with Nehemiah, in 445 B.C., Artaxerxes makes a decree via Nehemiah to allow Jerusalem and the walls to be rebuilt. There's been a temple now rebuilt for 50 years, 60 years. What was that? 70 years. Anyways, where the, the temple's there, but there are no what? There are no walls. Make sense? And so now Artaxerxes listens to Nebuchadnezzar, or, sorry, Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is burdened by the state of Jerusalem, right? And his people, Israel, sounds like Daniel, doesn't it? Okay? And he's crying and he's weeping and he's fasting. And all of a sudden he realizes that God wants him to do something. But he doesn't know what it is. And so he's the cupbearer of the king. He's standing before Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes says to him, which is not allowed in the, in the king's presence, you look sad. Not looks like sad in the, in, the, in, the, in the presence of the king because that means that something's not right in their, in their domain. Make sense? Everybody's got to be happy. Nehemiah, the cupbearer, is not happy. Why are you sad? This is nothing more than sadness of the heart. So I prayed quickly to the Lord my God, and I lowered it out to the king. Oh, king, how can I be happy when my city is all full of ruins and stuff like that? Off with his head. Get rid of him. Get him a new cupbearer. He doesn't say that. But God works in the hearts of the king. He turns it whichever way he chooses. And he works in the heart of Artaxerxes. And so Artaxerxes turns to Nehemiah, his beloved servant. He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? How cool is that? Well, I'd like you to let me go. And I'd like you to, so we can rebuild the walls. And not only that, oh, king, I'd like you to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, you get to provide the materials. King, you're it. I mean, come on, this is it. He doesn't know that he's fulfilling Daniel's prophecy. Isn't this kind of cool? He has no clue. He's starting to fulfill the prophecy of Daniel. He just knows he's burdened about this. And he's crying out in anguish. Artaxerxes issues a decree to go ahead and rebuild Jerusalem. Kind of fun stuff. So, 
the end point then is the coming of Messiah the Prince. So if we have that it's 483 years, right? We're told that the, the 7 and the 62, 483 years, and we know then that the decree was issued in 445 B.C. You then do a math problem, simple math problem, 483 minus 445, and you come up with 39 A.D. as the time of Christ's crucifixion. That doesn't make sense, does it? It's kind of like, well, that's not quite where I expected it to be. That's because, again, there's a, a little biblical thing that we don't think about. We think as Western people, okay, we think uh, in a solar mindset, as opposed to a lunar mindset. The prophetic year is always lunar, okay? It's 360 uh, days. It's 30 days per, per year and so, or per month. And so we see that specifically very clearly from the book of Genesis. And you can go to the book of Revelation, Revelation 11. You can see the same thing played out, okay? But it's very clear here with this time of Noah, okay? In the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the deep were broken up, yada, yada, yada. The waters revealed on the earth 150 days. Pretty clear, 150 days. And the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day. Well, we had the second month, the 17th day. We got the seventh month, the 17th day. How many months is that? Five months. What? Exactly. So you take 150 days, you divide it by five, you get what? 30 pretty simple, okay? And so you can look at Revelation chapter 11, you can talk about the three and a half years and stuff like that, and you, you find out that indeed a prophetic month is 30 days. So that changes things a little bit here, okay? Because we're thinking Gregorian, we're thinking solar, you know, we're trying to go 365 in one quarter days, but they're thinking just 360. So we take now 483 prophetic years, we multiply by 360 days, we get 173,880 prophetic days, that's kind of fun, isn't it? You ready for the next part? Artaxerxes' decree was, has been dated to be March 14th, 445 B.C., adding 173, 880 days to it comes up on April 6th, 32 A.D. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Now, I think Jesus died in 29 A.D. Okay, that's where my dating is, okay? But that's pretty close, isn't it? Isn't it kind of like, whoo, that's kind of eye-popping. Like, Mm, I'm almost willing to go to 32 AD and not understand and know that I don't understand everything that I think I understand. Do you track with what I'm saying? Do you think it's haphazard? Do you think God is able to be able to control even the moments in the days? Now, again, could this be off a little bit? It could be off a little bit. What's exciting for me is that it's this close. Do you get it? That Jeremiah made a prophecy about the 70 years Daniel gets further prophecy about it regarding the 483, and we haven't even talked about the final week. And we have this kind of detail that comes to a day that could actually wind up being the very day that Jesus was crucified. Again, I'm not saying it was. Don't don't quote me on that one, okay? But what I'm saying is, that's pretty eye-popping to me. Especially when you're talking about thousands of years of history and the different people, um, historians and everything, that write things out, Okay? So, we then move on with it. Jesus then talks about this time as well, okay? That he talks about how this plays out from the book of Daniel. In Luke 19, we read, Then as he, that is Jesus, was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of Yahweh. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. What city? Jerusalem, okay? His holy mountain. Saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Hmm. Isn't that kind of interesting? Just think about that for a moment. If you'd had your eyes opened, and some of them did. Some of them are accepting who Messiah is. But if you'd had your eyes opened, you'd have seen what's going on. But now from this moment, your eyes are what? They're going to be hidden. It's going to be closed. Okay? Four days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Could they have known the day of their visitation? Yes. 
They could have. Did it take God by surprise that they didn't? No. Because God knows everything. And so whether you get to the, the, the predestination or the foreknowledge of God, yeah, right. Woo. God knows. God determines. Does that make sense? How it plays out, I don't know. I'm not God. I wasn't there in the beginning when God plotted the, the, all those mountaintops and the valleys in between and everything else that was history was going to be. And what things did he foreknow? What things did he predestine? I don't know. All I know is that God gave them a viable decision, a viable chance to what? To receive him as Messiah. And they what? They rejected him. They didn't know the day of their visitation. Again, I ask you, are your eyes open? We've got all this prophecy. We've got the word of God. To whom much is given, much will be. Are you walking like you're in the night or are you walking like you're in the day? Do you believe that Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth? That's what he said. I kind of believe he meant it. I mean, I don't think he meant like, well, he's going to give you some of the truth, but not all the truth. You know, so help me God. No, it's all the truth, so help me God, right? I mean, that's what it is. That's why he gave the Holy Spirit to me, to convict me of righteousness, judgment, and sin, to seal me to the day of redemption, but to lead me into all truth, because God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. I mean, this is it. It's all here. This is truth. Forget all the, 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 all the other social media junk that's out there, okay? I mean, they're all just opinionates, okay? This is not an opinion. This is fact. This is truth, okay? And it says it in here. And so if you believe it, you just pray. God asks God. God, help me to understand. You know what? He'll do it, just like he did with Daniel. I really believe that. But he also reserved the right to tell Daniel what? <laughs> Some of the stuff is sealed. <laughs> just, you're not going to get it. And Daniel, we've already seen Daniel twice. What? All in angst and everything else because he wanted to understand more. And God told him, no, you're greatly beloved, but guess what? I still reserve the right to not give you all the information because I'm God. So they should have known the day of their visitation. They didn't know it, right? Now, chronologically still, the confirmation. Confirmation of all this information. So bring it. So one of the geometry. Do you love geometry? Geometry is fun. Do you love doing proofs? Oh, Anna loves geometric proofs. Not. Anyways. I love geometric proofs. It's just logic, you know? But one of the things that when you, when you do a proof and stuff like that, sometimes you, you do it from a different angle in order to prove that you prove, right? And so even when you're doing algebra and you solve the problem to come for X, what should you always do? I used to teach, okay? Say again. Pack it up and do your proof. Prove that your number was actually true. It killed me as a teacher how many kids missed because they didn't go back and they, they didn't check it out, you know? I mean, all they had to do is put it back in and only take them 30 seconds to find out their answer was wrong. You know, and now they lose 10 points on their test because they didn't take the time to do it. Anyways, so we want to go back and we're going to check our work here, okay? So kind of fun because, again, history, God has recorded all this stuff in history for us to know. This is exciting stuff. And he's placed details in his word for us to know, okay? So what do we know? John's ministry began in 28 AD, the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, Luke chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, because Tiberius began his reign in 14 AD. Oh, isn't that kind of cool, right? So again, we're looking back to secular historians and all that kind of stuff. And so could there be a fudge of a day, a year or two here or there? Yeah, maybe so, okay? But let's just take these dates. And this is kind of fun as it's going to play out, okay? So 14 AD. So he began in the 15th year. So that makes it about 28 AD. Jesus' first Passover, we're told, why did they even put this in the Bible? The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to, to build this temple. Remember, we, we, did, we did John, remember? And he says, you know, destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it up. They thought they was talking about the real temple, not his body, right? And they said, well, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? Well, stop for a moment. Why did they give us that piece of information about 46 years? Well, because we know that Herod began building the temple in 18 B.C. 46 years would be 29 A.D., the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Isn't that kind of fun? How much older was John than Jesus? Go ahead, Mark. Say it louder. Be confident, buddy. Brust it out. Six months. How do we know that? Because we're told that angel Gabriel came to Mary when, when Elizabeth was 
six months pregnant. We're given details for a reason. We can kind of do chronologies. Math is fun. God created math, y'all. Okay? I mean, it's all throughout creation. Deal with it. If you don't like math, you're just saying I don't like God. Okay? What? <laughs> let's, just, let's be honest here. Okay? Okay? I mean, God didn't come up with English. I think it was a curse to the world. Anyway, so. <laughs> anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways. So. But, but you get what I'm saying, okay? This is fun, and God's given us details for a reason, even in English. So, okay, so it's all confirmed, okay? The dating is so exciting. So we have the initial, we have the end, but we still have what? Some more information. We have this gap. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the gap, but we saw that there was this gap, and that there was going to be until the, the end, war is determined, right? Well, Jesus declared, Matthew 24, verses 6 to 8, when he was asked about the end times. He says to his disciples, he says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are just the beginning of sorrows. There's going to be what? A period of time. Until the end, war is determined in desolation. There's going to be this period of time. So we're told in Luke 21, 20, 24, Jesus again speaking. He says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, then know that its desolation is near, for these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. What's he talking about? Daniel, chapter 9, okay? Daniel says the time of the prince is going to come and he's going to trample, right? So this is it. It's being fulfilled. He says, but he says, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. We like to refer to this as the church age. I like to refer to it as the time of the Gentiles. That's what Jesus called it. He didn't call it the church age. He didn't call it the age of grace. He called it the age of the, the Gentile, the time of the Gentiles. That's when God was going to set aside his people, Israel, for a period of time, and he was going to allow the Gentiles to trample his place for, for a period of time. Hosea chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. After two years, after two days, I will restore my people, revive my people. On the third day, I will restore her. What happened? Almost 2,000 years, two days after, Israel allowed, or God allowed Israel to be destroyed. Israel became a nation. We're waiting for the beginning of the third day when he will restore her to power. And do you know when Israel will be restored to power? When David comes and sits upon his throne. Who is that? Jesus. Isn't this fun stuff? I mean, do you kind of feel like, oh, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you know, could be, could be, you know, it's like, oh, am I kind of like Daniel, like, oh, you know, God, I just need to, you know, are you, are you kind of like Nehemiah maybe should have been and said, you know, well, maybe I'm kind of fulfilling God's prophecy here, you know, I don't know, but this is exciting, exciting days we live in, y'all. Wake up, smell the coffee, roses, whichever makes you feel better, whichever causes you to wake up a little bit more, be of the day, read God's word, study it, ask him for understanding, be excited about it. It's better than a DC Marvel or Marvel comic strip, dude, you know? So I'm talking to some of y'all, okay? Others out, huh? Anyways. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. We have a final week coming, a final seven that's coming. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination, the one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out upon the desolate. So we have this 70th week. And so I want to just, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. We don't have a lot of time. I knew we weren't going to have a lot of time. So just come through it. We're not going to Revelation. It all plays out in Revelation. Go to the series from 2009. And I hate when I say that. She's like, why can't you just preach it again? So it'll be in my, in my day. And so, <laughs> Because it's already out there, okay? You can go to Spotify, you can go to Pandora, you can go to our website, you can go whatever, and you can listen to it. Anyways, so, but here it is, okay? So we have this 70th week, which we understand to be classically referred to as the tribulation period. I hate that term. It's like we're not going to go through tribulation other than that term, other than during that period. It's not the case. You get the seals, you get the trumpets, and then you got the 70th week. The 70th week doesn't begin to Revelation chapter 11. Check me out on it. It begins in Revelation chapter 11. 
when the two witnesses are on the earth for three and a half years, and after three and a half years, they are killed, and they're laid out for three and a half days, and at the end of three and a half days, they're resurrected. They're raptured in front of everybody. The whole world will see it because there's going to be webcams all over it. Kind of fun stuff. You're living in the day. This is exciting stuff, okay? Every eye will see it. It'll be captured. It'll be, can you imagine all the tweets going out? Whoa, you shouldn't have been the one I just saw. And it's really cold. And whoa. No, maybe not. Anyways, and so, you know, just whoa. And so then you got the beast. He's going to come up and he's going he's to rule over the earth for three and a half years. That's in Revelation chapter 11 into chapter 13. It's all there. It's exciting stuff. We're not going to talk about that. Okay. So, but what I do is I want to talk about these verses real quick. First of all, we have this prince who is to come. Who is the prince? Well, we said the beast. We know that. We know um, we have the, the beast from Revelation chapter 11, 12, 13 into 14, and then all the way into 18. Okay, we have this beast that's going to come who's going to reign. Okay, and we know exactly as well, not exactly, but um, from Nebuchadnezzar's dream, right, that it's going to be a continuation from Rome in some manner. Okay, you're going to have the ten toes. I don't know who they are. I have ideas. But anyways, but again, Prophecies 2020 in hindsight, right? And so you got all that kind of stuff, fun stuff going on, but someone's going to rise in all that time. Okay? So when he rises, what's he going to do? He's going to confirm a seven-year covenant. That's, again, this week. Okay? So we're looking forward to some world leader who's going to confirm a covenant with Israel for seven years. Do you know what's really exciting as well, because it ties right into this, and the next part is the offerings and sacrifices. He's going to take the offerings and sacrifices away, which means that if there's offerings and sacrifices, there has to be a what? There has to be a temple. And do you know in the beginning of Revelation 11, in the beginning of that final week, there is a temple in Jerusalem? Kind of fun. Do you know that the Temple Institute, you can go to templeinstitute.com, or com or org, anyways, um, you can go there. They've already... They've already made all the utensils needed in the, in the temple. They've already ma- they already have the, the, the altar of burnt sacrifice. They've already practiced on it. They've already had like a crate, and then they had this fake lamb that they held next to it. Anyways, and so it's kind of fun. Anyways, fun stuff. But anyways, but they're prepared for it. They have a priesthood who's been sanctified, who's been consecrated, who's been set apart for an entire 40 years generation. They're ready for a temple. All they need is the ability, the privilege, the authority to build it. And do you know that they're, they're, they're compromising right now? They're, they're debating because, again, as I stated to you, all, all indications is that the temple should stand exactly where the Dome of the Rock is. Okay? Do you think that Muslims are going to give that away pretty easy? No. There's going to have to be, I mean, if they're going to let that thing be raised and something else be placed on top of it, there's going to have to be a real big giveaway on Israel's part. I have thoughts on that. But anyways, but let's assume for a moment they don't do that. Right now, they're trying to justify putting the temple, building the temple in the southern portion of, of the Temple Mount. Well, that's where the Solomon's porch was. I know, you're like, what? Anyways, don't worry. There's no way it can be down there. But they're going to try to put it down there. And so when they put it down there, what do you think the abomination of desolation is? <laughs> it's the idol. It's, it's the temple of the false god that's sitting right there next to it. Do you know why Israel was destroyed? Why, why God sent them into exile? They brought the idols into the temple. And they set them right up there beside God. And Israel's going to do it again. Isn't this fun stuff? It's all in, your, in, in his word. You can read it. It's there. I'm not special. I'm a nobody. Do you get it? I mean, I was in the military, and God called me to go into ministry. And I said, okay, God, I'll do it, you know. And so, and, and I didn't want to preach on Revelation. I mean, some of you know that. I mean, I've, I never would. In 2007, God said, you're going to preach on it in 2009. And I said, no, God, I can't do that. And he says, you will. So I spent a lot of time so exciting but god will lead you into all truth do you believe it i believe it i believe he means what he says and by faith hebrews chapter 11 you can be added to the count by faith believe that god will do what he declares to do and he will use nobodies just like he used peter james john nobodies fishermen who weren't educated, who knew nothing, 
except for what God revealed and God taught him. Don't think you're a nobody. A sacrifice. There's going to be a temple there. Then there's going to be the one who makes desolate. Probably the same guy as the prince. Maybe somebody not. Maybe, maybe it'll be a, a new individual. Maybe it'll be the, the false prophet. Maybe it'll be the Antichrist, whatever. But we're going to have this one who's going to arise then, and he's going to cause then desolation to happen. Okay? That's going to happen. And then you're going to have this, finally, you're going to have this pouring out. Okay? You're going to have this one who makes desolate even till the consummation to the end. But then you're going to have this pouring out on the desolate. I believe he's talking about, he doesn't know that, but he's talking about the bulls of God's wrath. Because specifically when you go to the book of Revelation, you read about the bulls of God's wrath being poured out. And do you realize that who he's pouring it out on at that moment? It's on those who are being judged. Because they've rejected. And John states three times in the Revelation and for all this, they still, not would rep- they still wouldn't repent. And for all this, they still wouldn't repent. An amazing thing. They saw it. They saw it happening to them. But they wouldn't turn to God. And so God pours out his wrath. He's declared it. It's going to happen. So, in the end, do you believe the remainder of the prophecy will be fulfilled like the beginning has been? Do you believe that you potentially could be living in that day today. And even if you're not, that it's still going to happen. Do you teach it like it's going to happen? Do you talk to others like it's going to happen? Are you living a life that is expectant of Christ's return? We talked about that in Sunday school with Peter. Peter was living a life of expectancy. That Christ could return at any moment. No man knows the what? Day or the hour. Don't get into this, well, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. You know, the people say, well, we've got to take the Gospels to the end of the world, and we're going to put it on the radio, therefore Jesus can come. Jesus can come anytime he wants to. Does that make sense? Okay. He can come at any moment. And even if he doesn't come physically, I could die at this moment and meet him. Does that make sense? Heart attack, boom, dead. Okay, don't say, well, I'm not in my 50s or 60s, you know, so I'm, I'm good. Really? Okay, maybe you're not going to die for the heart attack but maybe you're going to die of something else, and maybe you're going to die in a car wreck on the way home, and I don't mean to be prophetic over you right now. Anyways, <laughs> but you get it? You don't know. So whether Jesus is going to come or you're going that way, are you living a life of expectancy? Does it change the way you act? How are you preparing yourself for the trials and tribulations that may occur in your lifetime? Look, you see how things are playing out in the world right now, okay? Throughout the world, believers are being persecuted. It's you see the, the forerunners of it happening here in the United States. Are you, I'm not, you don't know what you're going to say in the day. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say in the day. I'll give it to you. Okay? So that's not the point in all this. The point is, are you seeking to live a life for God so that when those times come, he's the influencer of your life and not the world? Do you get what I'm saying? In the end, then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are the most high God. There is no other God but you. And you, by your grace, have revealed to us things that are going to occur in the days ahead. It's an amazing thing to me, Father. I, like Daniel, wish I knew in greater detail how it looked like. Is Vladimir Putin this guy? Is is is, is Biden that guy? Is this so-and-so? Lord, you, you haven't told us that, and that's okay. Lord, I pray that you would help me and help these others to be true students of your word and disciples of your word. That, Lord, we would be faithful to read it, to meditate upon it day and night, that we would be like trees that are that are planted by the rivers of water that will bring forth its fruit in its season. And whatever we do, Lord, will prosper only because it's you working through us. Our leaf would not wither. That you would be exalted. Father, sanctify us through your truth. Your word is truth. And be magnified in Jesus' name. Amen.